My name is Paul Riley, also known as Political Paul, and this is The Riley Rant, a podcast where we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. Let's rant. Thank you all for tuning in to the 28th official episode of The Riley Rant. As was noted in the intro, we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. But something that wasn't noted in the intro is the fact that The Riley Rant is on the cusp of celebrating a very huge milestone. We launched officially January 2017, which means that in a few days we'll be celebrating The Riley Rant's one-year anniversary as a podcast. And this is no small feat. Uh, this is a huge accomplishment in my mind, especially if you've been listening to previous episodes where I've talked about how many podcasters give up after six or seven episodes. And to be able to, in a year's time produce 28 episodes it's something that i don't take for granted but as we all are in the season of reflection uh, so with new year's we have people reflecting on 2017 uh, creating resolutions that will help them to right some of their mistakes in 2017 whether it be with eating too many of those cookies or not devoting enough time to self-care or not really executing on career goals whatever it may be we are in a time of reflection which is why we oftentimes create new year's resolutions to help guide us through the new year but then if you work in a corporate setting this is also the time where you're going through performance appraisals and performance reviews. And when you're reflecting on the previous year, reflecting on some of your wins, some of your areas of development, as they say, as you focus on all of those things in the professional landscape, we're thinking about this past year and how we can improve. And so given that these topics are top of mind in the professional and in the personal landscapes, I thought it made sense to devote this rant as we're wrapping up 2017 to reflecting on this past year and in hopes that I can share with you some of the things that I've learned, um, some of the mistakes that I wish I had not made, and share with you some tidbits that had I known and really internalized early on in the year that I feel would have made me more successful as a podcaster, more successful as a content creator. And that's what I want to do with this rant is to move beyond the theoretical and into the practical. For people who are thinking about pushing out content in 2018, it's so easy to type in Google how to start a podcast. It's so easy to watch different YouTube videos. But what's even more valuable is to actually hear from people who have actually embarked on these different journeys and actually immerse themselves in these endeavors to really hear firsthand things that they wish they had done differently. And so I think that this rant will add a lot of value to people who are thinking about jumping into blogging and podcasting, which is why I felt the need to do it. I thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you will gain something from this. The first thing that I wish I had done more of in 2017 with respect to my podcast is really to understand the true extent and scope of the podcasting landscape. When looking up articles on the number of podcasts out there, there's not much of a, a consensus or clarity on the exact specific number. There's been some who said 150,000. I've heard as high as 180,000. And so that's sort of the ballpark of podcasts out there. And the barriers to entry in the podcasting landscape are so low that it shouldn't be surprising to learn that there are so many podcasts and that there are people every day posting about how they're creating a podcast or a blog to share and produce content. But someone who is prominent in, in podcasting and in digital marketing more broadly, Jay Baer, he's a world-renowned, acclaimed a marketer and, and podcaster who has received a number of awards and accolades and who also has a top blog entitled convinceandconvert.com. And Jay Baer, he does a blog post on some of the trends that he's seeing in the podcasting landscape. And I wanted to share this as my first takeaway, as I wish this is something I really studied and internalized as I began to think about my strategy for the Riley Rant. So to start out in the blog, Jay Bear really throws out just high level numbers to get you to understand 
the world of podcasting in America as it currently exists. And he finds that 112 million Americans have listened to a podcast. This is up from 11% in 2016, and that over 40% of Americans aged 12 or older have listened to a podcast at some point. So initially we know 40% of Americans over 12 have listened to a podcast. So there seems to be at least high-level curiosity around this new phenomenon, which is podcasting. There's an appetite for people who want to learn more. He then dives deeper into that, that, that number and finds that 67 million Americans listen to podcasts monthly and that 42 million Americans listen to podcasts on a weekly basis, which equates to about 15% of the total U.S. population. For comparison purposes, he notes in his blog that only 3% of Americans go to the movies weekly. So he's trying to show that podcasting has a broader reach on a weekly basis than movies and that people are really leveraging this as another form of content to get news and to get noteworthy stories that they can internalize. What they also found is that unlike you know, social media posts and things that can often go viral, uh, that podcast listening is actually relatively steady. That the growth in podcasting year over year is consistent at about 10 to 20% increase year over year. And he actually argues that he doesn't believe that there'll be a massive jump in podcasting and that growth will ultimately be inhibited by the fact that it's so difficult for people to interact and engage with podcasting. Now, the easiest way for people to podcast today or to engage with podcasts is through, say, subscribing to a podcast on iTunes or Google Play or SoundCloud. So whenever a new episode is pushed out, you'll get an alert. You can click on the icon and you can listen. That's the ideal state. But we know if you've been podcasting for a year or so or more, there's actually much messier than that in that the number of clicks that it takes for people to engage with content is actually a barrier uh, for people who may not be as comfortable with technology. And I've experienced this firsthand in my year of podcasting. If I were to push out an episode now and I wanted to promote that episode on Instagram, I would have to create a, a photo with the logo, a brief description of the rant, some hashtags, link in bio, political, professional, whatever the topic may be. And when I push that out into the Instagram community, I would have to first get someone to look at the post be captivated by the photo or the description, which would then prompt them to, this is the first click, to click on my icon or my photo, which would take them to my Instagram page. From there, they would click on the link in the bio. After clicking on the link in the bio, they'd have to click on another link to actually get into the article. And then after clicking into the link to get into the article, they'd have to click on another link to click into the SoundCloud embedded interface on the website. And then SoundCloud's doing their own promotional activity where they say, do you want to download the app or listen free online? That's a fifth click. And then after that, you have to click play to listen to the episode. So if you're trying to promote your podcast on Instagram, you're requiring people to go through six separate clicks to just get to your voice. And so the barriers to entry, oh, Jay Bear and others find, is that the complexity is creating a barrier and that people may not be compelled to really click through all of these different hoops to get to your voice. And so that's one way in which he argues that podcast listening growth is going to be steady as it's not as easy as just clicking and diving into it, that the complexity of, of engaging with podcasts will inhibit people from participating. What they're also finding is that the podcast consumers are getting older. So before, it was more common for people under 25 to listen to podcasts. But what they're finding is that, uh, as of recently, a large percentage of uh, folks aged 25 to 54, they're beginning to listen to podcasts more than any other age group. So that means that those people who are entering into uh, the realms of adulthood and, and people who are well into adulthood are finding the most value from podcasts. That's something that you should keep in mind as may influence your content strategy to connect to the audience that's more in tune with and has a desire to engage with podcasts in 2018 and beyond. In terms of gender, they find that 27% of American men have listened to a podcast in the past month, which is compared to 21% of women. But this is where you know the informative stuff comes in in the blog post. So at a high level, we have 180,000 podcasts out there. That's including those that are active and inactive, but that's our anchor point, 180,000 podcasts. But what they find is that although 40% of Americans age 12 and older have listened to a podcast and that about 15% of the population listens to podcasts on a weekly basis, that people are actually very limited in the podcast and in the content that they engage with. Jay Bear finds that podcast fans listen to 
five shows per week and that this average number of shows listened to at five was the same for 2016. So what that means is that over the last two years, it's been very consistent that, that fans will listen to around five shows per week. But then beyond just listening, what they found is that the average podcast listener subscribes to about six shows. So you have people who are listening to podcasts about five per week and you only have people subscribing to about six. And so in this ever crowded marketplace of podcasts, you have people who are honing in on a few shows that they listen to religiously, which makes it difficult uh, for people to experiment. And Jay Barry even notes that this, I'll try this new show now and see if I like it behavior is not really occurring sort of amongst fans at this time who listen to podcasts. In terms of how they listen to them, two thirds of podcasts are listened to on a phone or tablet. 52% of podcasts are listened to at home, 18% in the car. That's a, a fascinating development as well, primarily because Many people assume, or at least I assumed incorrectly, that when I was pushing out podcasts, that it would really be for those people who are listening you know, for their morning commute. So I may push out a piece of content or an episode on Sunday night, thinking that people would capture it in the morning and listen on their commutes. But this learning at a high level from Jay Bear and this analysis shows that actually people listen to podcasts at home. And so maybe that impacts your promotional schedule. Maybe you promote later in the evenings. Maybe that will impact how you engage with your audience and how you curate content that they'll listen to. And so that's one misconception that people are always listening to this on the go. No, it's actually people listening on a tablet or phone in their home. And then one other point of contention that I know has been around in the podcasting community is whether or not people listen to entire episodes. So there was a theory that people would check in to the first five minutes and maybe click out of the episode. And that may be still true. But what Jay Bear and his analysis have found is that 85% of listeners hear all or most of a podcast. And this is done via research from Edison that kind of proves those wrong who think that you know people aren't listening to full shows or that people bail after only a few minutes. So that's the first key takeaway for those interested in getting into the podcasting landscape. And it's one thing that I wish I had really learned and internalized more as I was really fleshing out my content and my schedule and my programming for the Riley Rand. Yes, it's an ever-crowded marketplace that there are so many people out there who are pushing out podcasts, but that the people who are listening are very loyal to a very few number of shows that they're listening on their phone or tablet and that they may not necessarily be listening on a commute. They may be listening in the privacy of their own home. Knowing that may have altered how I went about my advertising schedule, how I went about connecting with end users, and how I went about pushing out content as we're seeing that the age and the demographic of the prominent podcast listener is actually skewing uh, to a more mature audience ages 25 to 54. So all these learnings are valuable, and it's just a testament to the importance of really doing research before diving into an endeavor to really understand where the trends are so that you can insert yourself in that space in a way that allows you to maximize on the investment and the time and the energy that you're putting into your podcast or your blog. So that's the first thing, truly understanding the landscape. The second thing that I wish I had internalized more is understanding the importance of who is successful in podcasting and who gains the most traction early on. And what I learned, and this is the takeaway, is that the people who are most successful in podcasting, this one shouldn't be too surprising, the first group are people who are famous and, and people who are uh, celebrities or pundits. As was noted in the previous segment, podcast fans listen to five shows per week and the average listener subscribes to six podcasts. So that means that if you only have five shows to listen to for a week, which shows are you going to gravitate towards? Well, you're going to gravitate towards shows that are oftentimes put on by notable individuals. And that's what we begin to see throughout 2017, that you have famous you know, folks like Tim Ferriss, whose podcast has really been a, a gold standard for you know, how do you engage people and keep active listeners. But this past year, you've also seen notable pundits. I watch cable news a lot, so a lot of my examples are from politics, but notable pundits who entered into podcasting. Some examples that come to mind are Roland Martin. He was the former host of News One Now on TV One. He recently launched a podcast. David Axelrod, he was a former advisor to President Obama. He teaches, I believe, at U Chicago on politics. 
And he has a podcast that stems from his political commentating at CNN called The Axe Files. Angela Rye, another CNN pundit, she has a podcast that she launched this year called On One with Angela Rye, where she interviews notable figures in media and politics. Ezra Klein used to be a political commentator, still commentates somewhat, but moved over uh, to Vox Media, uh, where he's really pushing out content and really expanding um, in that realm. And then most recently, there was a viral post or a viral story on Twitter, I should say, where Prince Harry was interviewing Barack Obama in sort of a podcast format. So across the gamut, across media, politics, business, whatever the industry, whatever the notable figure, we're finding that news outlets and individuals are relying more on podcasting to connect with audiences. And so those who have been successful early on are those who have name recognition, who are famous, who have built a brand, and then decided to jump into podcasting. And that's the biggest takeaway that you, I hope that you will get from this particular portion of this segment, is the fact that you have to be very famous to take off in podcasting, or you have to build up brand name and relevant content and, and loyalty to really bring about that following. So since the majority of us are not wealthy entertainers, wealthy pundits who are well-known across households in America, we have to take an alternative route, which is a route that is anchored in pushing out relevant content that allows for you to build up your brand to have people coming back for more. So I may not be a CNN pundit, but I can start raising awareness in small ways as to how I want to be recognized in the marketplace and what I want my podcast to be about and what I want it to stand for. So that a year or two down the road, when people hear Paul Riley or Political Paul, they know what my brand is about and what I stand for. And that's one of the biggest takeaways that I've taken from this year in podcasting is realizing that yes, the celebrity pundits, the celebrity figures do well, the major news outlets do well in podcasting, but that the folks outside of that celebrity who are just ordinary citizens, ordinary individuals who do well, are those people who have built up and established a brand for themselves that when I say my name, you know who I am and what I stand for and what I'm focused on, what I, I like to talk about. And so that's the step that we as ordinary individuals have to take when we're trying to push out content. And that's one thing that I think about constantly uh, throughout this past year. And as I think about the Riley rant, I came into it thinking, I want to talk about all things political, professional, and personal. I want to spread the net as wide as possible to give myself as many topics to cover as possible. But in hindsight, in retrospect, I realized that I may have actually added more value by coming in with a narrower focus and then expanding out once my brand was solidified in that area. So instead of maybe focusing on the political, the professional, and the personal, how different would this rant in this year have been if I had primarily focused on building up brand and loyalty and understanding in the political realm, which would then allow me to expand in other facets? Because that's what the most notable and successful podcasters have done. They have built their brand and their loyalty in a certain niche field or industry, which then allowed them to bring their following over to their podcast. So that's something to think about, that second takeaway that you don't have to necessarily be famous, but you have to start pushing out relevant content that allows you to build a brand and that you shouldn't shy away from content that is extremely narrow and focused as you can then begin to build loyalty and may actually increase your rise in podcasting and blogging once people understand what content they should go to you for. If they want to know about something in this field, they know to go to you. That type of branding is invaluable early on, and I wish that I really understood the significance of that in my first year of podcasting. The third takeaway is the beauty of having guests. As I thought about my podcast and did some analysis on the 28 episodes, I realized that 17% or close to one out of every five episodes had a guest. And when I think about those episodes, I run through them quickly. Critical and political, a discussion with Khalid Love, where we talked about a political rant after the 2016 election. How do we internalize the results? How do we move forward under this new political climate? The future of politics with Spencer Ivey. We talked about how tech and, and politics are going to converge and how it can either be a force for good or it could really dismantle our democracy and really looking at what the trends are and, and how we can really address the disconnect that currently exists between our government, our politics, and our technology and the tech industry more broadly. So really enjoyed that episode. I had Alex Blanton come on and talk about choosing yourself. 
he left his job to really take time off to pursue things that were of interest to him and to learn more about himself. And in that episode, we really hunker down on this idea of living on your terms and not on other people's terms and how you can be a high achieving student or a high achieving individual who follows the rules, who colors within the lines, who does everything by the book, uh, but not really taking into account what they want to do. And so that was a fun episode, just learning about how people grapple with um, that desire to be perfect and to live on other people's terms and how liberating it could be to take that step out on your own, take that bold move to pursue something that's of interest to you. We then had Caroline Kitchener, author of Postgrad Five Women in Their First Year Out of College. She talked about how she came about writing this book, what stories she tried to capture, and what she learned from the process. And she talked about uh, themes that run rampant uh, with folks who are taking on new endeavors, like imposter syndrome, feeling like you're not worthy or, or that you're not worth the accolades or the success that you're, you're, you're receiving. And then also looking more broadly at the tumultuous first year out of high school or even college, where you're no longer in this environment where everything's laid out for you. You're going to be a freshman. You're going to be a sophomore. You're going to be a junior. You're going to be a senior to now entering a world where there really are no rules and where you are in control of your destiny and where you have to deal with a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity. And then we had Tough Love with Chelsea Taylor, a personal rant talking about millennial dating. How do you meet people in the age of Tinder, in the age of Coffee Meets Bagel, in the age of Soul Swipe, in the age of apps that really like to swipe for instant gratification? How do you begin to form meaningful relationships and how do you meet people in a way that's genuine and authentic and that will allow for long-lasting relationships? So really grateful to those five guests, Khalid, Spencer, Alex, Caroline, and Chelsea, and really want to dive more into bringing guests on the show in the future. The fact that only one out of every five episodes had a guest shows me that there's more that can be done to improve upon the guest and the type of people that I have on this podcast. Now, some may argue the first year is a time to really get your voice and your perspective out there, to really share your opinions on a variety of issues. And I feel that I've done that throughout the first year. And as I look towards the second year, I really want to focus on bringing on different perspectives. Because as I've heard about uh, feedback from different episodes, you know, people said, oh, I really love that. I would have loved to have had someone's challenge you on that second point you made to push back on that idea you, you pushed out. And I realized that's one of the limitations that can come with solely podcasting as an individual contributor, that you may say something that someone may disagree with, but there's no opportunity within the episode for people to push back or to challenge certain assumptions. And so really want to get more into bringing diverse perspectives similar to the ones that were on this year to really not only expand the dialogue, but to spread awareness around the Riley rant. I look at it as a win-win. I can bring people on. They can spread these episodes to their respective networks. That can raise awareness to the Riley rant. But then more broadly, as I talked about the time-consuming nature of podcasting, some of my favorite episodes have been episodes where I've had guests, and some of the easiest episodes to record and edit have been episodes where I've had guests. Whereas those other episodes require me stopping and starting, cutting and editing, every time I've had a guest, and I want to jinx myself, but every time I've had a guest, it's been a 45-minute straightforward back and forth conversation the microphones were just there to capture things but it felt like a, a truly straightforward 45 minute conversation i was able to listen to that and edit it within an hour boom two and a half hours i have an episode out and i can go and do other things that i want to do on my sunday afternoon and so realizing the win-win of raising awareness around the riley rant but also expediting the time that i can record and push out content it's a win-win and so i definitely want to do that more often and i would encourage you as you think about podcasting to consider prioritizing having guests or having multiple hosts i think that there's a value and a beauty in having an individual contributor who shares their thoughts from time to time or who every couple of weeks will share their perspective in an individual podcast episode. But I cannot suggest strongly enough the importance of having multiple voices, whether it's a co-host or a guest coming on who can add to and enlighten and enhance the dialogue and can allow you to really be challenged and to create content that uh, resonates with people uh, from all walks of life. Number four, consistency. 
One of the biggest mistakes I made and something I talk about throughout the Riley rant is the fact that from a psychological standpoint, we are terrible predictors. We overestimate success. We underestimate the likelihood of failure. We underestimate how long something will take. And we ultimately set ourselves up for failure when we don't accurately and objectively assess the different risk and time commitments of certain situations. And I feel that I fell into that trap with this Riley rant. I started out saying I wanted to do a weekly rant, 52 rants, 52 weeks. Every week I wanted to rant about something in the political, the professional, the personal. And after a month, I was burnt out. The time-consuming nature of putting on episodes and recording put me in a predicament where I would lose my entire Sunday trying to first brainstorm topics, record, and then edit. And so that meant that every Sunday I knew that I would not have time to get to the other activities that I needed to get, to get done, those errands I had to run. It would actually create a dynamic where I became stressed out of actually dreading Sunday because I'm like, oh gosh, I have to go through this process again where I lose an entire day to push out content. And so I wished I had really given more time and energy to thinking about a cadence that would be effective and sufficient enough for me. For some people, they can do the daily podcast of five minutes, and I give you the utmost credit for that because that's very difficult to do. For some, they may say a weekly podcast is something I want to do. Others may say bi-weekly or bi-monthly. As you think about those, really give weight and consideration to all different options, and I would even encourage you as you start out to actually uh, weigh more on the side of conservatism. You know, I'm going to maybe commit to a bi-weekly to start, see how that feels. I'm going to commit to maybe twice a month to see how that feels. I think that if you underpromise and overdeliver, you'll be in a much better predicament than coming out of the gate saying, I want to do something once a week, getting burnt out, beginning to dread it, and then ultimately realizing that it doesn't become a sustainable practice. And so I was able to keep this up for about two months, and then I fell off. I was like, I'm going to do bi-weekly. I'm going to do every three weeks. I'm going to do once a month. You know, I, I began to, to fall off because it became such a time-consuming endeavor that I didn't have time to take care of other aspects of my life, other errands that I had to run, that it actually hurt the Riley rant because I wasn't consistent in the output. And as we talked about earlier, it's already complex enough for people to access and, and engage with content. As I mentioned with the Instagram example, it could take up to five or six clicks to get to the podcaster's voice. And so you already have a complex nature, a complex chain of events to get to the podcast that you just screw yourself over when you're not really devoting enough time and energy to consistency to say, yes, I know this is going to be complex, maybe hard for you to click five times to get to this, but I can guarantee you that I'll be consistent with the output of the content so that you know if it's Sunday or if it's every other Sunday that there's going to be a piece of content for you to engage with. And that's what I've learned throughout this year is that people want consistency, that if people are dedicating five shows a week to podcasts, they want to go to places and to pages where they're going to get the most value. And if you're not consistent in the content that you deliver, it's going to turn people off or allow people to forget. And it's going to put your project or your endeavor in a much worse predicament. So realize that you have to be realistic. Don't fall into those psychological traps when really trying to commit to a cadence that works for you. And really understanding that once you create a cadence, that consistency is key. That if you want to build a brand, if you want to build an audience, if you want to develop content, you need to do so in a way that's consistent so that people can know that you're going to produce content that will meet their needs, that can be incorporated into their one of five podcasts they're going to listen to that week, and that you can really add value and help to grow your audience and get your voice out there. So remember that consistency is key. But the last thing that I wish I had done more of is understanding the importance of cross-content promotion. Understanding that in order for a podcast to grow, you have to pull a bunch of different levers. In 2015, we noticed in the social media landscape, the emergence of live streaming and how that was captivating audiences. We see a lot of people playing with video now as another way to really create that one-on-one -on -one connection for the end viewer, the end listener, the end customer. We see a lot of people blogging, getting their name out there, sharing quick tidbits and blog posts to gain following. Gary Vaynerchuk, CEO of VaynerMedia, very controversial figure. People love him or they hate him. He's a big proponent of promotional ads, particularly on Facebook. 
and Instagram and how they've been adding so much value to his content curation and to spreading awareness and how easy it is for you to start pushing out content uh, via social media uh, by paying a few dollars to have it blasted to your followers and to targeted demographics. But then another strategy that I came across recently was one that was actually coined by Gary Vaynerchuk, and it's the $1.80 strategy. We talk about, in colloquial terms, giving our two cents, and he actually takes that in a literal sense and says, you need to act as if, when you're on uh, social media, particularly Instagram, you need to act as if you have to spend $1.80 a day giving your two cents at a time. And so he argues that if you want to become a brand influencer, or if you want to gain traction or followers, you have to get involved and immersed in the communities that you want to be a part of. So if I want to be a podcaster, I need to immerse and embed myself into the podcasting community to understand how people are doing their podcasts, thinking about their podcasts. But then beyond that, given that I focus on the political, the professional, and the personal, I now need to immerse myself into the political world, the professional world, and the career advice world to really share my perspective and my two cents. And so he argues that if you have a dollar and 80 cents a day, that means that you have 90 opportunities to share two cents. And so he argues the way you do this is you click on 10 hashtags that are relevant to the content you're creating. So for me, as I said before, maybe hashtag politics, hashtag political, hashtag career, hashtag advice, hashtag professional, hashtag profession, whatever it may be. Type in 10 of those hashtags in a search, and then from those searches, give your two cents on the top nine posts for each of those hashtags. And he argues that if you do that every day, if you give your two cents on nine posts across 10 hashtags, you'll be able to spend a dollar 80 per day and you'll be able to build up your brand as someone who is trying to gain a reputation and credibility in the space. And so that's just one way of many that people are thinking about cross content promotion. When I think about the Riley Rand in particular, you know, once you gain a solid understanding of your cadence, whether it's weekly or bi-weekly, you have to then begin to think about, okay, if I'm already going to be consistent in delivering this content, say every two weeks, I have to make sure on those off weeks, I'm creating derivative content from the work that I've already created. So it's not enough to just push out content, but it's to say, how do I take that content and stretch it as far as possible? Maybe I take a minute clip here, put it on Instagram to gain awareness. Maybe I take a quote and put it on uh, Twitter. Maybe I comment here to build awareness around what other podcasters are doing. Maybe I share my two cents there to gain awareness and a following. The point is that if you want to grow your podcast in this ever-crowded landscape, you have to be consistent, and then you have to also have cross-content promotion and derivative promotion to really allow your brand to grow. It's not enough to publish to SoundCloud or to iTunes or to whatever your provider may be, but you have to then make that work active and fluid and dynamic so that it has a shelf life of longer than one day or 36 hours that you're constantly revisiting and reiterating the points that you make in each piece of content. So those are my five takeaways after one year of podcasting. It starts with really understanding the landscape that you're trying to break into. Whether you want to be a blogger, a podcaster, a YouTube channel, viral star, whatever it may be, you have to understand the landscape. And I feel that I did a lot of research before you know, launching the Riley Rand, but I didn't really internalize it in the way that I should have. I didn't really understand the trends of podcasting, the age demographics, where it was going, how people interact and understand podcasts. I didn't have that clear understanding, as that understanding would have definitely helped me strategize how I'm going to promote my podcast, how I'm going to raise awareness, and how I'm going to really get people involved in all that I'm trying to accomplish here at the Riley Rand. The second point was creating relevant content and realizing that, yes, you have a leg up if you're a celebrity. Yes, you have a leg up if you have notoriety from another industry or world that then you can bring over to your podcast channel as listeners. Yes, that's valuable, but there's also value in really creating content that's relevant to your audience. One of the key takeaways that I had to learn is the importance of maybe having a much narrower focus to allow you to build a brand and a credibility in a certain field that you're trying to dive into. So I honestly believe that I could have been just as successful had I narrowed my focus early on to say just politics or just the professional, choosing one of those streams, really doubling down 
pushing out rants solely focused on that topic allowed me to build credibility. I feel that I could have been just as successful had I taken that route. I decided to play a wider game to have more uh, verticals to discuss, but understanding that you could be just as successful with a narrow focus was something on which I had realized sooner as that narrow focus can allow you to build brand and following as people know I'm going to X, Y, and Z's podcast because I want to learn about this specific thing. I'm curious to learn about this thing in the political world. I'm going to visit this podcast because I know they're going to tell me what I need to know and educate me on what I should be on the lookout for. There's value in not only creating content that's relevant, but even that's narrow and focus to build about loyal listeners. The third takeaway is guest. As I mentioned before, only about 20%, one out of every five of my podcast episodes had a guest. When I think back to some of my most memorable and favorite episodes, it was those episodes where I had another person sharing their perspective, where I could bounce points and ideas off of, where we could agree and disagree and really learn from each other. And I definitely want to take that with me into the new year. And I would encourage anyone thinking about podcasting to understand that you should bring on guests early and often, and that you should also consider having people come on who can not only bring their networks, but they can bring their perspectives to really allow for engaging, enlightening dialogue. The fourth point, consistency. Making sure that you are consistent, that you commit to the cadence that you set for yourself. I was over ambitious and tried to do a weekly podcast, easily burnt out after two months, did a bi-weekly, then burnt out and said, oh gosh, let me do once every three weeks, let me do once a month, let me do it when I can. And the problem with that approach is that if you're not consistent, you're not going to continue to chip away at that market share. You're not going to be that one of the five podcasts that people listen to on a weekly basis because people can't trust that you'll produce the content that they want in the time and in the manner that you say that you will. So remember that consistency is key. But then lastly, that once you brainstorm and create your content, once you record it, once you edit, and then once you publish, your work's not done. You have to make that post and that content fluid and dynamic, and you have to increase its shelf life. You can't just hit publish, share on Instagram, and walk away. You have to be serious about creating derivative works. You have to be serious about uh, creating content and snippets that will allow for that post to reach a wider and broader audience. So maybe I take a minute from my episode and post it on Instagram. Maybe I take a quote and I post it on Twitter. We have to continue doing more work beyond hitting publish to ensure that we gain as much traction as the content we push out deserves. So those are my five takeaways after one year of podcasting. I hope that as you craft and formulate your New Year's resolutions that you will think about how you can start creating content and that you don't fall into some of the pitfalls that I fell into as described in this episode. Podcasting is time-consuming, content creation is difficult, and you can oftentimes question how to make your voice authentic, how to make your voice genuine, and how to truly connect with people. And there are times where you'll have doubts around if you're meant to do this, if people are really receiving the content. But through all of the trials and tribulations, this one year into podcasting has been a great experience for me. It's been a great journey. And as I look back over how quickly this year has flown by, I'm just amazed at the 20 episodes. I'm amazed at the five guests. I'm amazed at the many plays that I've had from people who came to listen to my voice and my perspective. And to see that I was able to accomplish all of this with 80% of the rants being focused on me just talking, there's no telling what I can accomplish as I double down on working to ensure that I have many more guests in the future who will bring with them unique perspectives and stories and who allow this Riley Rand community to continue to flourish and to grow as we enter into 2018 and for many years to come. Thank you so much for tuning into the Riley Rant throughout 2017. And thank you specifically for tuning into this 28th rant. Remember that if it's Sunday, it's time to rant. If it's Sunday, it's the Riley Rant.